the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to be in church with you today. Uh, As Simon said, it doesn't really get much better than Baptism Sunday in church as we rejoice to see new people joining the family of God. It's just wonderful. Um, My name is Paul Cook. I'm one of the leaders here at Belmont, and I think I've been in Exeter now for 26 years, which is a long time. Uh, But I've noticed, and Sarah, my wife, has noticed quite a big change in Exeter during the years that, uh, that we've been here. Um, Exeter has really changed in terms of its cultural diversity. Uh, And that's a really good thing. I think it's a very healthy thing for the city. And I think it's it's an extremely good thing for us as a church. Because as the city is more diverse, we become more diverse as a congregation. And that's great. Because as we become more diverse as a congregation, we are preparing ourselves for the future that God has in store for us. Uh, There's a lovely picture at the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 7, where the Apostle John is given a vision of what life is going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. And it looks like this. He says, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, that's the throne of God, and before the Lamb, That's the Lord Jesus Christ. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, the one God that they all share, our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. If we're followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is our future. And so as we become more culturally diverse in our congregation, we prepare ourselves for that great and glorious time that is to come. Hallelujah for that. Well, as our, um, as our, as our friends join us um, in, in this country, they also, of course, get to find out some unusual uh, customs that we have in the UK. And this weekend is one where we have a particularly unusual custom that I don't think is celebrated anywhere else in the world. Uh, Those of us who are British by birth will know it very well. Those of us who who have pets, we have a pet, really don't like this weekend because there's bonfires and fireworks and all things going on. But we remember, remember the 5th of November, as the rhyme says, doesn't it? Why do we remember the 5th of November? Well, it's because of these people. Uh, There were 13 of them, I think, in total. Here we've got eight of them, uh, and they were involved in a plot over 400 years ago, back in 1605. The one we probably know is that one. Guy Fawkes, Guido Fawkes, as his his name is on that uh, engraving. And as the rhyme goes on to say, we remember, remember the 5th of November. Yes, well done, you've listened at school. Absolutely, gunpowder, treason and plot. You see, those people that we've just seen on that picture, they got these big barrels of um, gunpowder and they put them under the House of Lords in London. That was the gunpowder part of it. They wanted to blow up the House of Lords. Why do they want to do that? Do they just not like MPs very much? No, it was, it was more serious than that. They wanted to get rid of the king. And the king of England at this time was James I. 
So they wanted to get rid of him. That's the treason bit. To kill the king and his ministers is an act of the highest treason. And why did they do it? It's because they wanted to replace him with a different king. James I was a Protestant, and they wanted to have a Catholic king in England to turn the clock back to where it had been about 80 years previously. And their plot was to get hold of James I's daughter, Princess Elizabeth, she was only eight years old at the time, and to uh, bring her up as a Catholic and then to marry her off as a, to another Catholic so that England would become a Catholic monarchy. And you know, a terrible advert, really, for church unity uh, back in the 17th century. Um, but that's what we do. We remember the 5th of November. And really, it's all about regime change. That's what the gunpowder plotters wanted. They wanted a regime change. They wanted a new king. And even though, of course, I don't condone for one second the use of revolutionary violence to bring about regime change, I do think that regime change as a concept is something that we, if we're followers of Jesus this morning, should be interested in. Because Paul says, the Apostle Paul in the Bible says that we have undergone a regime change if we're followers of Jesus. He says this in his letter to the church in Colossae. He says, God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. It's regime change from darkness to light, from death to life. Paul says that is what has happened to us if we have come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a new master, a new king, a new Lord, regime change. And this morning, as we saw the baptisms, we saw that being enacted in a beautiful symbol, a very powerful symbol of regime change, of going from the dominion of darkness to the glorious light-filled kingdom of the Son whom God loves. And that's what I'd like us to think about this morning. So if you've got um, a Bible, you might like to open it um, to Romans chapter 6, another of Paul's letters uh, to an actual church in the city of Rome this time, in Italy, obviously, nearly 2,000 years ago. And we're on page 1,069 and page 1,070 of the church Bibles. And we're just going to have a look at some verses there which help us understand the significance of baptism in relation to this idea of regime change. Let me just pray before I uh, dive into God's word with you. So Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. We thank you that we've already heard evidence this morning about how it changes lives. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you inspired this word in the first place. And we pray that as we open it now, Holy Spirit, you will open our ears and our hearts, and our minds, and our eyes to everything that you want to teach us through its pages. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans chapter 6. Here's how it begins. Paul is um, Paul's posing a question, because he's been talking about this thing called grace. Grace is God's completely unmerited, undeserved favor to us, in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are forgiven in Christ, not because of anything that we do, but because of everything 
that he has done upon the cross. It's God's free gift to us if we will accept it. So Paul's been talking about grace and he imagines a question might come up in the Roman's mind. He says, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we keep on giving God more and more opportunities to to forgive us? To give us even more of his grace? To show us how glorious and marvelous and wonderful and loving he is? Shall we do that? Says Paul. And he answers that question very, very emphatically indeed with a big fat no. By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's a, there's a paraphrase of the Bible called the message version. And it uses the image of having moved from the country where, ki- where sin ruled to a brand new country where Jesus is king. And they say there, if we've moved from one country to the other, very appropriate for this morning, if we've moved from one country to another, we can't keep going back to our old house because we've left that behind us. We've packed up all of our belongings and we've moved into a new country, the country of Lord Jesus Christ as our, as our king and our Lord. No, we can't keep living in the land of sin, says Paul. It's all about regime change, isn't it? We've undergone regime change if we've become followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, baptism is absolutely key to understanding what's happened in this new new life. He goes on in verse three. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, we've rejoiced this morning in our baptisms. It's been wonderful to to see our two sisters going down into the water and coming up again. And we've been whooping and we've been cheering and we've been overjoyed to see what's happened. But actually, baptism is celebrating a death. It's celebrating our association with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are baptized into his death, says Paul. And he says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And I love the symbolism of baptism that's kind of enacted for us as as people are baptized. They come down, don't they? And it's as though we're going down into death and then we are buried under the water as we go down under the water, completely submerged, immersed. We're buried with Christ. And then it's like as we come up again and walk out again, we're walking in a new life. It's a lovely visual aid to describe what this regime change for those of us who put our trust in Jesus is all about. But Paul says, don't just think about the fact that we are living a new life now. We are, when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're starting to live our new life. But he says, Remember, you've got something glorious to look forward to. Alison mentioned it in her prayer. We thought about it when we looked at Revelation chapter 7. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to come back from the right hand of the Father. And when he does, he's going to raise us, if we've died, with new bodies. With resurrection bodies like his. 
Paul says in verse 5, if we have been united with Jesus in a death like his through our baptism, he, Jesus, will, sorry, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul says the new life that you live in Christ is absolutely for this life now, but it is also for the life to come. In the new heavens and the new earth, when you're given those resurrection bodies, as Jesus has a new resurrection body. When he came out of the tomb, he had a new body, a different body from the one that he went into the tomb with, a resurrection body, a body that could not be touched by sorrow or by pain or by suffering or by mortality any longer. It's a glorious hope that we have in Christ. For we know that our old self, Paul says, was crucified with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Or if you've got the green Bible's little footnote there, it might be rendered powerless. So Paul is saying, don't just think about Jesus' death in abstract terms. Oh, yeah, Jesus died. I know that. He says, think about the fact that Jesus was actually crucified. Think about the fact that Jesus himself went through that for each and every one of us. But also, Paul says, think about the fact that your old self was crucified with him upon this cross. Before the regime changed, when we lived in the dominion of darkness, our old self, the self that was self-centered, that was self-ish, that self, Paul says, was crucified with Christ. Because Jesus didn't just die kind of his own death, he took to the cross all of our sins. He dealt with all of our weaknesses and our failures and our rebellion, and he crucified it with him upon the cross. And Paul says, therefore, we live in a different stage of life now because we're no longer going to be slaves to sin. That was our old life crucified upon the cross with Christ. And now in the new life, we have been freed from that slavery to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That's regime change, isn't it? That's what it's all about that we've celebrated this morning. And then Paul sums up what he's just been talking about in these three verses. He says, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. He's got a resurrection body. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then Paul brings us into that big picture. And he says this, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. In Christ Jesus. I love that verse. It's one of my favorite verses in the, whole of the, in the whole of the Bible because it's reminding us that we need to do something in our minds in order to think about what Christ has done for us. Paul says, Count yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Of course, we will continue to sin. I know that, and you know that. It's part of our life, isn't it? Sin is a reality. But Paul says, Don't get so bogged down in the fact that you do let the Lord down sometimes, that you think of yourselves 
only in that category. He says, count yourselves dead to sin. Remember that your old self has been crucified with the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't dwell on that past. That's been dealt with. Focus on the new life that Christ has called you into. You are alive to God in Christ Jesus if you know him as your Lord and as your saviour. If you don't, you're still in the dominion of darkness. You still need to be rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son that he loves. But if we are, then that's a glorious thing for us to hold on to. And so Paul says in the same way, uh, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, and therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You've changed. Your, your king has changed. Don't let sin be your master anymore. So do not, let, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Uh, For our new sisters this morning and for those of us who are following the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what we need to do every day. The beginning of every day, the end of every day, we need to say, Lord, here I am. Take me and use you for your purposes, for your honour and for your glory. I want to be an instrument of righteousness in your hands today. For sin shall no longer be our master. We have a master. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin shall no longer be our master because we are not under the law. We are under grace. We have experienced regime change. And this morning, I think that's got to be at the center of our thoughts as we think about the glory of baptism and what it means that we've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the glorious kingdom of the Son whom God loves. I rejoice in that for our new sisters this morning. I rejoice in it for all of us who know and love the Lord Jesus. And I pray for those of you who don't know that yet, fantastic that you're here. I pray that you will come to know that for yourselves as well, because it's so precious, so vital, so important. Let me pray as we, as we finish up now. Father God, we, we thank you so much for the baptisms that we have witnessed this morning. We thank you for the stories that we've heard of lives transformed. We thank you that when we see those things and hear those things, they speak to us of regime change. Very rarely in human political terms does regime change work the way we think it might. But in your kingdom, in your economy, regime change is something glorious because you rescue us from the dominion of darkness, from the power of sin, and you bring us into the kingdom of light and of life, the kingdom of your glorious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom you love so much. Thank you that you've given us the privilege of celebrating that together this morning. And I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you will enable us to offer our lives day by day 
as instruments of righteousness to your honor and to your glory if we know you. And for those of us who don't know you, Lord, I pray that this morning, with its symbolism, with its words, uh, with, its, uh, with its powerful message of the, of the cross and of resurrection and of new life, will be something that it will inspire us to want to know more about you and to do what our two new sisters have done, to dedicate our lives to following Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Saviour.